Hello and welcome to the BNP Paribas Markets 360 podcast. We cover the topics that matter from the global economy to market strategy. Greetings from New York City. It's Tuesday, October 10th. This is Carl Brigadana, Chief U.S. Economist for BNP Paribas Markets 360 team. And today I'm joined by two senior U.S. economists, Andy Schneider and Andrew Husby. Today's topic is consumers, and we'll touch on the continuing saga of post-pandemic savings, what we call excess savings, the consumer spending outlook, the resumption of student loan payments, and what that means for debt burdens for U.S. households. Andy, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Carl. Okay, well, let's start with you, Andy Schneider. Where do we stand on excess savings since last we uh, discussed this topic, and we've We've gone past the peak, but how far have we moved beyond that? And I guess the follow-up question then is: uh, Are we are, have we finally run out, or if not, when does uh, what, when do you see the end of that runway coming along? Yeah, thanks, Carl. So a couple weeks ago, we got some comprehensive revisions to a GDP data, and with those, it showed us a different path for overall household saving, which resulted in a bit different estimates of excess savings than we had before. So what the data told us is households generally for the six years prior actually saved a lot less, about a trillion less in saving. Prior to the pandemic. Yes, yes, after the revisions, exactly. But more recently, they showed that households actually saved a bit more since the pandemic than the data showed before. So, what so is, a bit more of a cautious consumer ex- is the moral of the story. Exactly, exactly. But because excess savings is a concept, is how much is in savings compared to the pre-pandemic trend. So we take the savings before the pandemic is given. It The flip side of a more cautious consumer is a consumer with a bit more savings. We have a bit more savings because we spent a bit less than we thought prior. So walk us through what, what was the peak during or immediately after the pandemic and where are we now? Yeah. So the peak is actually still the same. So we hit a peak of about 2.2 trillion in August 2021. But now we stand at about, this is as of August data, at about 640 billion. Whereas before the revisions, we were forecasting around kind of 400 billion around as of August. What's so 200 billion a so month? So what's friends? 200 billion a month? <laughs> so we're running down at about 70 billion per month. So what that means is originally before the revisions, we thought excess savings would run down by the end of this year. Now it's looking more like the end of the first quarter next year. So it's about a three-month difference here. Okay. Now, last time we spoke to you on this topic, you talked about the uh, distribution yeah. of those excess savings uh, throughout the population. Uh, what where do we stand on that yeah. now? And this, I, Carl, this is really key, I think, amidst all these revisions and that we also got the most recent data from the Fed on this on these distributions as of Q2. And what the data is telling us remains the same. Lower and middle income households, the bottom 40 percent of income quintile specifically, no more excess cash deposits, no more excess savings effectively here. When we look at it, especially in inflation adjusted terms, their cash balances are actually lower than they were before the pandemic now for this subset of uh, U.S. households. So it really is the the vast bulk of that 600 and some uh, billion savings is held by the, the upper 20% of the exactly. population. Is that accurate? That's what the distributional data is telling us. Exactly. Interesting. So let's uh, move from savings to, to income, obviously the other uh, uh, rocket thruster for consumer uh, spending in the economy. Let's turn to Andrew Husby. 
Uh, we just came off of a uh, a blowout jobs report, uh, but within that jobs report, uh, uh, much higher than expected job creation, but uh, the uh, average hourly earnings numbers were a little bit on the tame side. So what does this mean for the kind of net takeaway from the jobs report? Yeah, I think one uh, follow-on takeaway here off of what uh, Andy just talked about was that uh, sort of excess savings is running down, and now households are more sort of at the whims of uh, labor income. So looking at the proxy for aggregate labor income in the jobs report, we saw that uh, decelerate uh, down to 5.6% year-over-year from 6.1% prior. Uh, this was uh, really the slowest, uh, matches the slowest over the pe- post-pandemic span. So in this case... Uh, so households are living at, now more paycheck to paycheck exactly, is what you're, you're saying. More paycheck and to paycheck, yeah. the growth rate of those paychecks is now the slowest in the post-pandemic period. It is decelerating pretty substantially, and it's slowing in on the average hourly earnings side. And I'd say one last thing to note here is that um, if you look at uh, uh, one of the Fed's preferred measure of wage growth, uh, the ECI, um, this latest number kind of implies, you know, still a pretty warm number on the ECI front, but it's it, it'll show cooling uh, in a year-over-year comparison. So I think that'll be released uh, the day ahead of the Fed meeting and could um, sort of add to the evidence that uh, the Fed kind of can stay on hold in November with wages cooling a bit. So give us a number roughly year on your terms. What are we talking? Yeah, we're, we're talking still a bit above 4% year over year, um, but sequentially those uh, recent quarterly gains have downshifted to about 1% year over year for 1% quarter over quarter rather for uh, the ECI uh, wage and salary number. Which so, is, so for 4% in year on your terms, is that does that give the Fed confidence we're on a path to 2% inflation? Or Yeah, this is why I mentioned uh, this is sort of a warm number still, because you're looking for ECI growth in the vicinity of uh, 3% year over year, or even potentially a bit below to really be consistent with uh, 2% inflation. So we're not, not quite there yet. Okay. So maybe this factors into the Fed more in the context of holding restrictive for longer, mm-hmm. but not, not feeling the need to necessarily uh, crank the vice a little bit tighter in terms of uh, another interest rate. Exactly. I see. So we've talked about the excess savings. We've talked about the income trend. Uh, but maybe it's the debt story that matters most for the Q4 outlook here. We have the student loan payments coming due again. So one question I have for you, Andrew Husby, is you know, what does what does that add up to? But then also let's think about kind of interest coverage more broadly. Interest rates have been rising in a number of categories. So uh, let's talk about that kind of debt service burden and how we should be thinking about that. Yeah, so uh, certainly rising. So uh, as uh, income slows, we've got um, uh, you know effectively you know less um, you know more uh, less of an inability to cover those interest payments. So to put some numbers around it, um, we've got uh, a potential uplift uh, from say a year ago, uh, say the end of last year. We're looking at uh, Interest uh, payments in the vicinity of 400 billion year uh, for for the at an annual pace, uh, that's risen to about 500 billion as of the middle of this year, and we're looking for that to rise to about 600 billion at the end of the year. So you know, now, what, is that including that, the student loan payments? So, so these numbers do include those student loan interest payments, but what's not included is the restart of the full student loan payment uh, that's due, which includes you know principal and the interest payment coming at the end of this year. That number we think is an additional hundred billion there at an annual rate. In so the we're talking seven hundred billion. We're talking in the vicinity of that. If wow. we put these sort of uh, uh, mandatory or uh, sort of payments uh, on on the table, it's 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 a pretty significant ramp up. And so let's rather than speak in dollar terms, if we think of this as kind of uh, you know, 
percent of disposable income. What does that what does that look like for us? Put it in kind of historical context yeah. for us. I'm glad you went there. Um, so at the moment, we're looking to go from a level of about two and a half percent of disposable income to three percent. And that's important because not only have we just recently crept above the pre-pandemic uh, ratio there, but we're actually uh, now reaching levels uh, that we haven't seen since before the uh, great financial crisis back in uh, the mid 2000s. Back so, on 07, 08. So that's right. a pretty significant debt burden and that was a time for consumers who now have yeah. run down their excess savings, are living more paycheck to paycheck in terms of their orientation. And we see that that paycheck trend is actually decelerating as well. Indeed. This sounds like an environment of consumer stress, Andy. I agree, Carl. I agree. Are we seeing that in the data? Well, we're seeing signs of it. And I think there's two that come to my mind that are that are of note. So first off, consumer loan delinquencies. Now, these kind of have taken a U-shaped profile, especially when you look at automobile loans and then credit card loans, too, where we were on kind of a straight line before the pandemic. And then we declined a lot when the pandemic started. And if you actually overlay the excess savings kind of uh, chart or the excess savings profile we have, it fits right in line with the decline in delinquencies. But as excess savings has run down, delinquencies has risen. And now delinquencies are right about at their pre-pandemic level. But the way I'm thinking about this is consumers have largely reverted back to pre-pandemic balance sheets now that excess savings has run down, but they're entering a post-pandemic monetary world. Or so this world. seems to point towards a downshift in in the kind of spending profile. Yeah. Just give us some broad numbers of what this means for yeah. the forecast in the last 30 seconds. Exactly. So we think that consumption is going to be strong in Q3. We've already seen pretty heady numbers. We had a very strong payrolls report, strong income, as Andrew mentioned. So we're looking for a PCE, a personal consumption expenditure, to be about 3.6% annualized on the quarter for Q3. But we expect a significant downshift in Q4. We're looking for just 0.5% in Q4. And then we're probably going to see a negative print when we enter next year. Well, as go consumers, go the broader U.S. economy. So that is a, uh, a definite change in the, uh, in the pace of economic activity that, that we'll be watching for uh, going forward. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining today's podcast. If you'd like to hear more or access additional economic analysis and market commentary, please check out the BNP Paribas Global Markets mobile app available in the App Store and also on Google Play. This communication does not constitute research, a recommendation or any form of advice from BNP Paribas or its affiliates. It does not consider your financial circumstances or objectives, and it may not be suitable for you. It should not be copied or reproduced in whole or in part. 